Hi, Cherise here with a special announcement. You can now enjoy select episodes of Detailed in video form. That's right. Detailed is now available on RCAT's YouTube channel. Now, you may be thinking, I already listened to the podcast. No need to watch it on YouTube. Well, trust me, if you don't want to miss out, even if you're an avid listener of the podcast, the video format is a completely different experience. Not only is it like hanging out with us, but you also get to hear parts of the conversation that were left on the cutting room floor. You can also see the photos, drawings, and video as we discuss the incredible projects that are featured. Come join us on YouTube. Follow the link in our show notes, and let's get into the details. This is an original podcast by RCAT. Try the number one most used website for finding building product information and save time and money. No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Earlier, maybe 10, 5 years ago, there was a lot of talk about sustainable buildings that they could look exactly like the ones we did before. You know, that it was kind of like that you didn't want to show it because you were afraid that then people didn't want sustainable buildings. But I think now you would rather to show it so that you can actually understand what it's about and you can take that with you in your future life when you are a kid. This is Detailed. An original podcast by RCAT. I am your host, Cherise Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting, and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. Welcome to Detailed. The voice you heard in our intro was my guest, Mikkel Herman Sorensen, partner and architect at Christensen and Company, or CCO, in Copenhagen, Denmark. Fair warning, I tried as hard as I could, but I have failed in my attempt to correctly pronounce some of these Danish words. Mikkel is responsible for design and competitions at CCO. He ensures high architectural and conceptual quality in projects in the early phases, as well as ensuring the lasting effects in the later phases. Mikkel is responsible for developing the conceptual design methods at CCO, including how to integrate carbon reduction and circular economy. The project we are talking about today is the Learning Center Nereden, meaning nearby, located in Hoogstostrup, Denmark. But before we get started, don't forget to take a look at the project photos and drawings as you listen along. You can click the link in our show notes or visit www.rcat.com slash podcast. The Learning Center is the first public school in Denmark based on 21st century learning skills, also known as STEAM, science, technology, engineering, the arts, and mathematics. 
the new multi-purpose school and communal house for learning in Hoogtostrup municipality in Central Zealand can house 1400 students which will eventually serve preschool to ninth grade. The city had an overall vision for the learning center. The goal was to create a place that prepared children for the changing society of the future where they must among other things contribute to a more sustainable world. Well, it's built for the municipality of the town Hoytostel, which is also a very Danish word. And so it's it's for an area in that in that city and that municipality. And the short uh, background story is that they wanted to explore the future of learning. You could say they were very inspired by there's a there's a school in uh, San Diego. It's called High Tech High, which has this very workshop based and project based education system where they work with the 21st century learning skills, which I'm not sure if you know about, but which is actually an American system where they said instead of us trying to educate to the pupils for jobs that we actually don't know what is in the future. We would rather look at what kind of skills that is required to go into the future, basically. And that's, for instance, like communication, creative design, and like other skills that's part of this uh, 21st learning skills program. But in, in general terms, it's more about saying that, you know, that our way of teaching, our, our way of education is a very passive form of education where the pupils are sitting on chairs and then there's a teacher who explains stuff and then you have to learn it or you have to remember it. And the idea for this is to have a, like a more active educational process where the kids are more part of the learning uh, experience instead of just passively looking at something on a, on a screen or something. So they want the kids to be more part of the education themselves or actually learn to learn. It sounds very complex, but I don't think it is actually. It's more to actually change the main focus of of how you learn things and how you teach things. And the municipality here were very ambitious about this. They also, uh, so they wanted this school to be kind of a new way of looking into teaching and learning. And they also have this idea that they want to involve a lot of outside of the school uh, companies. For instance, we have that Lego is a, is a part of the educational system in the school. So they do workshops and they also, the pupils have visits outside of the school where they participate in projects that are not uh, directly related to the school as such, but is uh, kind of like um, building prototypes and being part of that. So the whole kind of idea is that it's a much more broad look into what education is and much more open. Then the second thing is, like we talked about in the beginning, is that they wanted the school to be an attraction to this new neighborhood. So they saw an opportunity to actually, instead of building a lot of houses and then build a school, which you would normally do when you know how many people that are living there, here they actually thought that it was an idea to build the school first and then use the school as an attraction to have young people with kids move there. It's an area that is uh, very close to Copenhagen, actually, and it's very easy to commute to Copenhagen from the area with, with train or also with car. So in that sense, it's, it's quite, uh, it's quite an attractive area. So they wanted to use the, the school as a catalyst to grow the area, you can say. And also a lot of the building is, is actually for the community. So it's also 
you can use it when you live in that area. So you can use it after school, you can use the facilities there. So it's also a cultural space for, for the whole the neighborhood. A design competition was held to select an architect, and CCO saw the brief as an opportunity to create a building that doubled as a palette for children to learn and play. When we do these kind of projects, and this particularly, we focus so much about the relations, the spatial relations, because we know that that in order to get all what they want to work, we need the relations to be right, and we need also to sometimes encourage new relations, both visually and like physically or or cultural. So relationships and relations is, is very hot on our topic list. I know that sounds maybe a bit abstract in a sense, but that's what we work with with, with our spaces. Then for inspiration, we have looked a lot at something like when you were a kid, what is it that you actually are inspired to if you need to move around in something, if you need to uh, play with something, then in Denmark, we have building playgrounds where you can actually build stuff or you have like uh, playgrounds where you can crawl around on towers and everything else. And that is both when you are looking at it from, from a distance, but also when you're in it, it's very intuitive and it's very sort of encouraged curiosity and encourage you to explore things. So in that sense, that's, the inspiration for this is that we want to make like one big <laughs> like uh, playground basically because i think there's a lot of education that education building that kind of lacks that we have to remember that kids are they're curious that's how they learn they imitate they look at each other they need to get inspired to learn something and so we want our framework to be able to actually to give that to to the kids then everything else can there's a lot of things that can happen in it, and we cannot foresee what happens in, in the building, but we can kind of like make the framework where we can push that a little bit or nudge that to happen. So we're very inspired by these like playground structures that has this grid design that you can both use for different, for various things, but you can also just, there, it just becomes this kind of visual playground idea, I think. The overall structure was created as a grid, which can integrate a number of elements and functional requirements without compromising the overall architectural concept. In the competition, the idea was very conceptual. It was kind of a system that's also like in a broader sense, it's interesting that we made it. That's also why we work with this grid is that it also had the possibility to be changed in the process like when whenever somebody else like these people if you have done schools you know that uh, then they start to ask the teachers would you rather have or would you do and you have a long process after the competition win where you also need to uh, adjust the project so in that sense we try to make a, a quite open project that could actually look a lot different or it could change a lot within but still maintain the same conceptual idea and maybe that was a very academic thought <laughs> because like, so that's one of the things that we have taken with us in other projects is that sometimes, you know, it can also be too kind of, yeah, academic in a sense or conceptual in a sense and maybe difficult to get to work actually. And I think as we just talked about, what we really learned is that a lot of things maybe was too complicated actually 
also geometrically too complicated and it could be done simpler and had the same effect. So that's something that you learn along the way with a project like this that is so demanding and complex geometrically is that you can you also get the understanding of what worked and what was worth the effort kind of. So I think that's what like the general knowledge we or thing we've taken with us also in other projects later is that simpler geometric solutions can also be as interesting and fantastic as what we did here. But that's mainly what I think I have in that, especially in the design process. We we did have a lot of changes. For instance, the, the whole facade, they were not happy with the facade from the competition. So we had to change the, the facade material and the color of the, of the facade. So now we have this red brownish school uh, and it's actually initially it was uh, much more light colored but that was a process with the municipality and the people around their project group and obviously when you do a project like this there's so many people involved that want or have specific ideas and uh, our process at our office is that we are super open for that because we know that in order for this project to work like the people that are using it has to be that has to like what they're part of it's not it's not our building it's their building so that process has was like a long and complicated process of integrating the users and stakeholders and all the people that were involved and we learned a lot from that definitely according to the judges of the competition the main architectural concept grants the quote possibility of a changing scenography which turns the building itself into a tool for learning. Together with teachers, nursery teachers, the municipality, and the citizens, we have developed a groundbreaking new concept where the architectural design is a platform for fostering curiosity and a strong learning culture." End quote. The building includes an integrated daycare, a sports hall, and cultural facilities for the surrounding community. Overall, it's both daycare and a uh, primary school, and then it's the community center, and then there's a sports hall, which is quite big. It holds handball pitch, which is, I think, you can have a basketball pitch also, but it's, qu it's quite large. Then there's uh, kitchens and workshops for wood crafts and uh, natural science spaces and stuff like that. There's two atriums that are connecting uh, two areas, and then there's uh, on, on the inside, and then there's a uh, an outside atrium actually, which all three of them are quite small, but they make these visual connections vertically in the building that uh, is quite intriguing. And then they're, they are also built in the, with this grid, which makes them very sort of uh, almost like a big staircase or something that you can crawl upon. And then the stairs are open in that space. So in, in that sense, it's a very open school. It has a lot of visual connections uh, going both vertically and and horizontal. There is also a, there's a split level in the ground floor. So you enter a level above and then you it opens up to the other side of the building where there's more playgrounds on the outside and stuff. Then quite unique thing about it is that it has a lot of terraces on the outside. It's almost like a three-dimensional playground on the outside. And every level has a connection to the outside. So you can walk out from all levels in the building. So you're never stuck anywhere. And that's also a quite important premises or document that we have that we didn't want any dead ends. 
we want to be able to move around everything. So there's a lot of circular flows in the building, which means that you always can go away and get back to where you started. But it also means that you can pass by. It's okay to pass by areas that you are not directly included in, if you understand what I'm saying, that you can, for instance, go by the older kids because you are going, you, you are on your way to another place. And it's not a corridor that ends with the older kids' classroom or something like that. And the reason to work with that is, of course, about exposure and curiosity and being inspired by what all the other kids are doing. So there's a lot of circular flows all over. You can even, from the outside, you can go up on the school and into the top level of the school without actually going inside of the building. So in that sense, you can get to A from A to B in a lot of different ways. So it's almost like a three-dimensional labyrinth or something. And of course, if you know your way there, then you also know where to go. The kids are very smart. They know they can get to their wardrobe very easily and they recognize where they're going, but they can also get lost in a playful sense, playing around on, on the terraces. So we tried a lot to work with the, with the relation between inside and outside. Also, the windows are all, uh, they're all going to the floor. There's no uh, window sill. So it's there. I remember the English word for it. But it's like a ceiling to floor windows all, always. So you always have this uh, direct visual connection to the outside. It's almost a seamless connection. Of course, the windows are there. But uh, in a sense, you get this kind of uh, notion that you're always like connected to the outside. So that, that's the spaces that are there. The bigger spaces are the atriums that I talked about, the two atriums that are connecting the levels where you have one that is for the smaller kids and one for the bigger kids. And then there's an outside atrium in the center of the school where you can actually, where it's kind of like a void inside the building that is uh, not covered. So you, so you have the, the daylight and all the rain or whatever happens, you, you get that with like very deep inside the building. There were a few features that stood out for Mikkel as particular favorites. I think my favorite features of the design is the terraces. I really like this idea of three-dimensional playground. It has a lot of potential and opportunities. And I also know that it was like really expensive to build uh, <laughs> because normally you would just have your playground on the ground. But here we really prioritized to have these terraces that you could go directly out into. So you can, because one of the things that, that you also want to do with the outside areas that, that you want to see if they can actually use it for education as well. So it's not just a playground. It's also a place where you can, if the weather is good, you can go outside and do math or you can go outside and do arts or whatever kind of topic you have. And if the area that you go out into is too far away from your classrooms or your spaces that you are in on the inside, then it becomes too complicated and it will never happen. And then the kids are stuck on the inside. So therefore, I think this vicinity idea that you have the outdoor areas really close to where like the inside classrooms is really important for that to happen. So I, I really like these terraces and also visually, I think it's really interesting. It creates a lot of interesting spatial and architectural spaces. And also like right now, it's, it's very sort of, it's very bare or there's not so much happening outside on the terraces at the moment, but I think they will grow into it when they get to know how to use it. And I think that process is really interesting. You can know, a new building is really boring, 
but an old building or a building that is in use is very interesting because that's where it happens, like the life and the exploration and all that happens within that frame you give them. And that will happen along the way when they get to use the building. A detail actually in that with the terraces is that there's no course, like there's no uh, fire escape course within the building. Everything happens on the outside of the building. So you like all the escape routes are on the outside of the buildings and you don't use the space inside for boring staircases that are in a core somewhere. So we use that to the advantage of the building somehow. Do you understand that the play and the logistics kind of merges together? As an example of this playful transparency, connection to the outdoors, and use of stairs, the space referred to as the learning loop is a vertical connection of stairs and pathways for climbing. It unites smaller and larger atriums, which offers access to exhibition areas, fab labs, and makerspaces. The learning loop demonstrates another key element, flexibility. It's not only moving walls. Flexibility is also about giving a variation in space. So you can actually change where you, what you want to do in different spaces. So there's like kind of two paths in this because we also know that when we do a wall that is actually movable, then at a certain time it's stuck somewhere. Nobody actually moves it. You know, that's also architects. They have a lot of the idea of making like things open or be movable. But for the people that are using the building, it can be very requiring to actually reset or do different uh, environments overall. But we actually, we did all the interior for the project as well. So we also made like a furniture system. We made a whole, uh, you can watch that, look at that on our website, which is like a mini version of the school and is adaptable to different scenarios. And you can do a lot of things in the school. So we really tried to have this raw frame that you can then do a lot of different scenarios within. So that's the flexibility we gave them. And, and then, of course, we'll see what happens with the school, but you cannot predict how they will use the school in the future. You don't know how it will grow and what it will grow into. You don't know that. So that's exciting, but you don't know it. For materiality, the CCO team kept things simple. We wanted off-the-shelf products because we also were seeking this workshop look. We're very aware that we wanted the kids not to be afraid to do stuff there. You know, like uh, very often, especially with new buildings, they're so fine and everything's so integrated and uh, like so many nice details that it almost becomes difficult to actually paint or, you know, do what you do as a kid. So we were seeking this quite raw look to the building, not just the look, but also the feel. And therefore we were looking into materials that were kind of like Home Depot type materials. So there's a lot of that the facade is corrugated steel plates, like super simple, thin steel plates. Uh, we used a lot of uh, plywood uh, material on the inside. So there's a lot of wood inside with different like colorings, perforated and stuff like that. But they're very like very typical kind of type of products and very simple. Then one of the main things is that there's a lot of focus on the acoustics, especially when you have a school that has a lot of open, especially very open. Obviously, we needed to focus a lot on acoustics and integrate 
the solutions with acoustics. So all the ceilings are like really enhanced acoustically to give the best environment, acoustic environment. Also funny is that we looked a lot into that the kids at smaller age, they're not able to, to differ between the sound so, so much as, as, as older kids are and, and grownups are. So they needed a, a much more, a much better acoustic environment than in, in the space for bigger kids. So we also differentiated that. So there's a difference between the areas that are for the smaller kids and for the, for the bigger kids. But in general, the, the materials we, we used are like super simple. We didn't use anything that was very specific or very special. Also, price-wise, it's very sort of ordinary solutions in that sense. But it also it gives you the feel almost like sometimes you can go, if you go and visit it and you see pictures of it, you can almost think that it's like too raw sometimes, like some of the detailing. But I think it has this quality that it's, that you get the sense that you can actually use this building. You shouldn't be afraid of using it. That's the whole point. For the Learning Center, the architecture naturally blends with energy initiatives. Green areas in, on, and around the building are a natural part of the learning environment of the future. CCO also focused on reducing the use of materials and optimizing energy usage. We really try to minimize the, the build components so they, they don't use so much, so many resources. So minimizing has been like a, the, the main topic. And then we try to also double use uh, whatever we could. For instance, the outer walls in the buildings are clad on the inside with a perforated steel plate, which means that you can actually use the insulation as acoustic absorbent. So that instead of covering that up and not use that double advantage that you could get from the insulation, we cover it with a, with a perforated plate. So all the walls on the outer side is also an acoustic um, solution. Then also we minimized our warm water usage. So for instance, on a lot of the toilets, there's not, a, there's not no warm water because it's like really quick. Uh, they don't need that there. They have it in the, other spaces where it's important. And that meant that you, that in the overall energy calculations, we could also minimize the, the use of insulation in the outer wall. That's a little technical, but, but it just meant that we were minimizing resources on the building. So I think that's what we try to do, always go to the limit on those, like on, on the thicknesses of things. Also, um, all the outer walls are lightweight constructions. So there's not a bearing outer wall. It's a column beam construction. So it's everything is kind of like hanging on that, on that structure. So, so in that sense, we used a lot less concrete, for instance, in the building. As I mentioned earlier, we, there was quite a lot of windows where we can get a lot of daylight, natural daylight so that we can minimize the use of uh, electric uh, daylights. And that works half of the year maybe, and then some of the years we need to turn on the electric lighting. But, but I think we, in general, worked a lot with the lighting in the building, like the natural light in the building. And that was also, like I mentioned earlier, it was to enhance the feeling of, of this inside and outside, like the connection between inside and outside. So it, it kind of worked both for the quality of the daylight, but also for the sense of being in a space that is connected to the outside. And then I think lastly, in, 
in terms of sustainability, we have this uh, idea that we'd like to show in our buildings, we like to show the sustainability, if you can say that. It's a little, it's a little banal, maybe, but it's that you actually can see the, the solar panels, for instance, or you can see other details because you have to understand the business and educational buildings. We are actually making like the kids that are going here. If they have an understanding of a sustainable building and what they need to get an understanding of sustainability, because they are the ones that are actually in the future needs to deal with this on a broader term. So for us, it's very important that our educational buildings also show that they are sustainable in some sense. I'm just saying this because earlier, maybe 10, five years ago, there was a lot of talk about sustainable buildings that they could look exactly like the ones we did before, you know, that it was kind of like that you didn't want to show it because you were afraid that then people didn't want sustainable buildings. But I think now, you would rather to show it so that you can actually understand what it's about and you can take that with you in your future life when you are a kid. In November 2021, the Learning Center opened its doors to an ambitious community focused on innovation and science. Michael Ziegler, mayor of Hoshtostrup Municipality stated, quote, we're getting a fantastic house for learning that meets our vision for a school with a great professional level of knowledge, a learning environment that stimulates and grants all children and young people, regardless of their background, the opportunity to explore ideas and give them an outlet to their creative instincts as part of solving real-life problems, end quote. As fantastic as the project turned out, the process of design is never-ending. You never stop learning. Mikkel had a few lessons learned that he would carry into his next project. The headline for that would be that I would simplify things. Like, as we already tried early in the process, I would actually just go into depth with that. I would simplify the geometry. I would simplify the, the choices of materials. I think that's, that's in general what I would like to do if I had a chance to do the project once more. That's the headline for that, because I think especially some of the spatially uh, complex places in the buildings are well, maybe too exaggerated in, a, in looking at it now that, you know, you could have done that in a simpler way. But I think if you did that, then you would probably, you would uh, meet other things that you would want to do different. So that's the, that's, that's, that's being an architect, you know, you never, you're never fully satisfied with anything. You just move on to the next problem and the next problem and the next problem. So that's also how I work. So I think it's very common in the, in our field of, of business that you want to do it differently and differently and differently. That I think the whole process of the, like what happens to the building after we build it is, it's such an overseen aspect of buildings that they live and they grow and they stuff happens to it. And you have to let go. It's almost like your kids, right? You have to let go at some point to let things happen to it. And you cannot fully uh, both comprehend or maybe actually you don't know if it's a, an achieved building before it has been there for maybe 10, 20 years. Before we close out this episode, I always try to gain some additional insight from our guests about the greater industry. I was curious what differences Mikkel saw in the industry between the United States and Denmark. 
That's a tricky question. You don't want to insult anybody. But we do work a lot abroad with our projects. So I have this kind of like a little bit of a notion of what we bring to the table. And there's other stuff that we definitely are not so good at. But but I think the main thing is that we have a very holistic approach to architecture. So we take in, I would like to say, all the aspects of, of the project. And we use a lot of time on the narrative and the conceptual idea of the project, but also use a lot of time in the design process to be very analytic driven. So we try to take in all the aspects of the projects, both the context and the cultural and the resources that are available for the project and use them all as to our advantage or to fuel the design process. So instead of trying to uh, battle the conditions at the site, for instance, a lot of architects have an idea of a shape they want to do, and then they have to push that into to some conditions at the site instead of just let go and understand what's happening on in the context, both cultural and physically, and then make that be the driver for the design. And I think that's a very holistic approach. And I see that sometimes when I when we do projects abroad, is that that we are very good at communicating and explaining what we want to do with our project. And that's often very convincing. And to have that kind of view towards the projects is, isn't a whole understanding of, of what it can do and how you actually have designed it. So I would say that that's maybe the, the main thing is that we work a lot in the earlier phases. We work a lot with the overall idea before we actually design the shape of the building. So very often our buildings are designed from the inside and out instead of from the outside and in, if that makes any sense. That it's like more, we're very focused on the logistics and the programmatic approach to the building and how it works. And then then we'll make that into a piece of architecture that will make that as a design driver. We use that. And I think that's sometimes the difference I see when we work in projects abroad. I really enjoyed this conversation with Mikkel. I hope this episode sparks a new idea, helps you solve a problem that you've been working through, or inspires the mark that you want to leave on this world on your path to world domination. What really sort of drives us here and drives me is that we work with like ambitious nerds and uh, like people with a glow in the eyes, you know, you always, you know, the people that make that e extra effort. And a lot of our projects are driven by people that have an idea or an ambition, whether it's a sports facility or a cultural center for a small village, or like, it's always like these projects or a theater or whatever projects where somebody has an idea and wants to follow that idea. And we are the ones that actually, you know, can, can make that, make the frame for that potential. And I really like the idea to support these kind of people because they are the ones that develop the society that we are in and push the world that we have. Yeah, I think that's really sort of like these really committed people. They are the ones that, that I really enjoy working with and, and that I hope that I can, can give that, make that dream come true for them because we have in, at least in Denmark, but I guess, all of the world due to climate change we have these all these discussions about resources and how to use the resources right but we never actually discuss what are the needs like who have the need for building so 
you can have some developer that is uh, making like uh, condominiums or like something to earn a lot of money, but you can also build a kindergarten. So should we never have that discussion, like how to use the resources, right? We need to use them on the people that actually want to do something and has a dream or want to like outlive the potential that they have both for kids or for, you know, old people or, or whatever. Or if it's the researcher that for, for the, for universities that, that needs this new lab that can examine whatever uh, they are into at the moment. I think that's really the driver that, that both I have and we have at the office is that we work for these people. That's our clients. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, visit rcat.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. While you're there, take a look around rcat.com. For over 30 years, RCAT has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try RCAT and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. Visit rcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.